Daniel chapter 6, it says, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. And as much as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace, And spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn, at the break of day, and went into haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. 
My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever, whatever was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast him their children and their wives into the den of lions and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people, nations and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel for he is the living God and enduring forever and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this, Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. If you would, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again, as we're able to come before you, in this place that you have provided, Lord, for us to worship you, bring glory and exalt the name of Christ. Lord, we ask that all of those things occur this morning. Lord, we ask that they occur in our lives daily, that we would be seeking you, Lord, be found in your word. And as we look at that word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would bring to light the spiritual truths of what occurred when Daniel was headed toward the lion's den. Lord, let us see the beautiful mystery of Christ in these scriptures. Let us see that you are a God who favors his people, who is faithful to his people, that you're a God of delivery. Lord, we just pray that we would be sanctified today by the reading of your word and the studying of your scriptures. Lord, we pray for those who aren't with us this morning, that you would minister to them as well. We pray for your people all around the world, Lord, that you would provide what provisions are necessary in so much as that Christ would be exalted and the gospel go forward to save souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So to kind of sum up what we read, we read that Daniel was a commissioner of sorts, much like what we would think of today. He was in charge of many administrators within King Darius's kingdom. Their jobs were to report to Daniel and to regulate issues that directly or indirectly affected the king and the wealth of his kingdom. The unique thing is that Daniel obviously isn't of these people. When I think about that, in one sense, yes, Christ was of the Jews because he's of Jewish descent, but he was of a greater, he was of heaven. He was God incarnate. And so, like Daniel... He is in the world, but not of the world. He's a, a separate being. And so when we see that, when we see how Daniel behaves amidst these people, we see that he's a sojourner. He's a foreigner. His ways are different than their ways. And so it should cause us, first of all, to think of Christ and that he came amongst the people and he lived a different life. He worshiped the true almighty God. And it wasn't just with his words that he proclaimed and professed to be a believer in God, but with his actions, so was Christ. 
But their job were to report to Daniel. He didn't share the same bloodline or origin as I spoke of, but he served as any faithful or respectable overseer would. He treated the kingdom as if it was his. He used the provisions given him, the things that he was over, and he used them wisely according to how he would if they belonged to him. That's what a good overseer does. That's what a good servant does. We see that uh, same idea in the parable of the talents. That he was concerned for the king, the one who did rule over what he had been given command and authority. His work was so pleasing to the king that he planned to appoint Daniel as chief over the entire kingdom. He had, the Bible says, distinguished himself and possessed an extraordinary spirit. Two interesting parts. Uh, we see that the fellow commissioners and administrators in Daniel's charge sought to lay waste to Daniel, and probably this originated from jealousy. We sort of talked about it this morning, that because Daniel was doing so good, rather than being happy and joyful for him and for his prosperity, these people were jealous. They wanted what Daniel had. They wanted authority, but they wanted to abuse that authority. That happens today, and sometimes we're guilty of these things. We have this authority, and we have these things that were placed in authority over and we abuse them. And one of the things, if I can remember exactly how it went, uh, about authority, I mentioned it to you in the past, in order to get over the things God has put under you, you have to get under the things that God has put over you. Likely Daniel understood this, and he was submissive to the Word of God. He was under the restrictions, under the, the mercies and the grace, really, of God, insomuch as he was also faithful to the king in that which he was in authority over. So the men looked to find something that they could charge Daniel with. They could find no thing. This should also cause us to think of Christ as he's been charged. And they could find nothing. He's an innocent man, yet he's still sentenced to death on the cross. And then after they found nothing, they said, we can trick the king into writing this injunction and it would disallow Daniel to worship his God three times a day, it says. And at this point, Daniel would be guilty. And as we know, the den of lions was his fate. But God sent an angel, it says, to shut the mouth of the lions and eventually his oppressors and their families would be served up as a feast to the lions. So I want to kind of unpack what we've seen when we look at the first three verses it seemed good to appoint uh, for Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom. Daniel would be one of the three commissioners. And then when we get to the third verse, it says, Then Daniel began distinguishing himself. These verses give us a glimpse not only of the delivery that God has brought. That's the immediate context. That's what we see when we first read Daniel in the lion's den. That's what we think about every time. We think about how, wow, God spared Daniel from this fate of death. But what we forget is this entire story is also an account for us on how we as Christians should be living. It's a model of Christian walk, a Christian life. And so I want to unpack these verses. It gives us a glimpse, the first three verses of how a man of God is to distinguish himself. Daniel distinguished himself first and foremost by his service to God. He didn't first serve the king and then God, God 
was priority in Daniel's life. And he first worshipped and he did everything that he did, everything that he was in charge of. He didn't do it for the king, not the earthly king, but he did it for God, his heavenly father. That's how we should look at work. That's how we should look at ministry. We should first come, not with the idea that we're going to get this task done, but whatever would be set before us, we do it for the glory of God. And that's how Daniel looked at this. And it says, he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Certainly any man or woman of God possesses an extraordinary spirit. This spirit should be the spirit that has come and indwelt, the Holy Spirit. But it should, speaking of the personal spirit, it should be one that is happy to do whatever we can do for the kingdom of God. Whatever has been set before us, whether it be digging a ditch or, or being over an entire kingdom. We should look at these things as equally important because we're not serving man, we're serving God. And immediately when I think about this, I think of Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15 says, and we're speaking here of these spirits, this uh, extraordinary spirit Daniel had, but there's also the opposing viewpoint. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. When we think about this, this tells us how we can know that Daniel's a man of God, by his fruit. Like, in the same sense, we can see that those who would oppose Daniel were haters of God. By their fruits, they're known. What does it say? They wanted to destroy Daniel. They wanted to seek him, to devour him, just like lions. And it's amazing that that's the fate that they bring upon themselves because of what they do. So when we look at this in Matthew, although the context isn't one that's the one that's immediately portrayed, from our understanding of Scripture, we know that we can apply it that uh, a man who is not spiritual, a man who is self-seeking, a man that has an attitude that's deeply contrasted from what we see with Daniel and the men represented in authority with Daniel, we can see that Daniel wasn't looking to satisfy his flesh. Daniel wasn't looking to prosper himself. Daniel was looking to please God. And so... We also look again to Jeremiah chapter 29, 7, and we, we get the root of why Daniel feels this way, the root of why Daniel is continuing to pray to God. First and foremost, why God is priority in Daniel's life, it says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. This is exactly what Daniel sought. He was being obedient unto God, and it wasn't because he necessarily loved the city so much, but that God had commanded him, and that he was pleased to do that. And so that's the first thing that I would tell you to notice. In the book of Daniel chapter 6, we shouldn't really just start feeling sorry for Daniel. We should have a, a righteous jealousy for the love that Daniel has for God, insomuch that he didn't fear the lion's den. He was eager to do these things because he knew that that was God's will. We should feel the same way. We should be seeking God and seeking his will for our lives. And it's described for us here in the Holy Scriptures. He wasn't looking for wealth. 
because for Daniel, wealth wasn't the driving influence on his life, but rather he was looking to follow the command of his Lord. He was looking to do good. This was the will of God for the people of Jerusalem, that they would find favor in this land to where they were captive. Daniel wanted first and foremost to please God. So let's take that away, first of all. Be pleasing to God. The book of Daniel, yes, he's been spared from death, but most certainly it teaches us about what it's like to follow and serve and be pleasing before God. It should be a model for us. So how does this amazing Bible story, how does it apply to our situation? Well, through great trouble, we see that Daniel has been delivered. And we should ask ourselves, when we face trial, when we face tribulation, when we face persecution, should we not also be delivered just as Daniel was? Certainly we would. Daniel prayed to God. And we're told in times of feast and in great harvest he did this. He was constantly in prayer. So the second point that we should take away from Daniel chapter 6 is that we should be in prayer. God's people aren't a prayerless people. They aren't a people who wait for bad things to happen to pray, but they're continuously, constantly praying without ceasing in times of great harvest and times of famine. Do not cease. Let Daniel be our model for prayer. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 42 says, For they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, Hear in heaven your dwelling place and do accordingly to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemy by whatever way you shall send them and they pray to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. Daniel was praying not because he was hoping that the Lord would answer his prayer, but that Daniel knew. He knew. He was familiar with the Scriptures. He knew that God is a faithful God, one who will deliver most certainly uh, in the spiritual sense, but He also delivered His people physically. Daniel wasn't hoping God would answer his prayer, but he knew somehow God would answer his prayer according to his own will. And so we should gather from this that we shouldn't fear what's before us because God has granted us wisdom. He's granted us the ability to pray. He's granted us supplication and a strength that surpasses all the wickedness on this earth. Don't be sad for Daniel. Don't be sad for yourselves in a time like this because it's promised. But rejoice in Christ. For your old man, it says, is crucified with him. And it's not your flesh who must attempt to endure these hard times. But it's Christ. Christ can endure these hard times because for him they're not so hard. He's conquered death. He's put off anything that a normal man would be condemned by. Sin. The flesh. He wasn't hindered by these things. But it's Christ within you who will see this mortal body through. And Daniel was certainly sure of this. And then we ask ourselves, who are we? Are we praying? Are we people praying to a God who doesn't answer prayers? Are we people who pray to a God that cannot save? 
Or are we truly a people of God who are praying to the God of our salvation? If He's the God of our salvation and can give us eternal life, then certainly a lion's den isn't much. It isn't much for Him to overcome. Neither is our financial troubles, our health condition. None of these things are really important and they're pretty minuscule in light of what Christ has already conquered. He's brought forth dead men to life. And so we rely on Him. If indeed our God is one who is defined by our creation, then we're in trouble. And this should also cause us to reflect back to that passage in Matthew. We have this false doctrine, this false Christ. He's not able to save. Neither is our law keeping or anything else that we do in the flesh. But the idea that Daniel understood is that God is faithful towards His people. His restrictions, His laws, they aren't so condemning as they may seem, but there are things that we should find joy in. And certainly Daniel did find joy in it. His provisions aren't only temporary, but Daniel also recognized that they were spiritual. So in one sense, yes, we could, we could read this story and we could be upset and we could be concerned for Daniel had we not known the outcome. But in a second sense, Daniel viewed it the same way that you and I should. If we were to leave, would it be a bad thing? Wouldn't that be what we're looking forward to? Isn't that the end of where our hope begins in Christ? That this mortal body will be put off and we'll have eternal life, we'll have immortality, we'll have the righteousness of Christ? Isn't that what we're looking forward to? Well, certainly, it's the culmination of all that Christ has done, His work on the cross. He provides for our earthly needs as well as He's the bread of life, the living water. With this prayer, I believe it's also necessary that we don't confine our prayer. Like Daniel, he doesn't just pray for himself. Most certainly he does, but Daniel, because we see his actions, he's concerned for the entire city. Both his people, the people of God, and the unregenerate people. That's a, that's a notion that we should act upon. If Daniel prayed and was looking for the prosperity of everyone then certainly we should also look for that same thing, much more so in a spiritual sense. We shouldn't be just concerned with our suffering, but we should be concerned with the overall, with everyone. Everyone has faced the same thing, death and torment in hell, because that's what we've earned, a just reward for sin. So I believe that this prayer is also necessary not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Matthew 5.44 says, Pray for those who persecute you. I bet you. I don't have to bet. I know. Daniel was down there praying to his God, not only for his own deliverance, for those men who would persecute him. It wasn't up to Daniel to decide how they would end, or what would be done to them, or if anything would be done. But I bet, I know, Daniel was praying for those who were unregenerate. Those who were persecuting him. So likewise, we should do the same thing because we recognize this, that our enemies stand in, the, in need of the same grace that we need. The same grace that's been given us. The same grace that we're shown in Christ. The love that we've been given. So do our persecutors. They need the same thing. The long-suffering that we've experienced. Unregenerate men need the long-suffering. Because without it, and they don't have the knowledge of Christ, they don't have the gospel, they'll die. And it's not a, just an earthly death. 
It's then this judgment that comes and this eternal hell and torment. And we should be concerned for that because in one sense, if something does happen to us, if someone hurts us or harms us or throws us in a proverbial lion's den, we may perish. But we have something to look forward to. And we should be thinking that not everyone has that. That's why God has provisioned it that through the preaching of the cross, men would be saved. But we do also pray for others who are in lion's dens. We pray for others who are being persecuted. The saints everywhere. It shouldn't be far from our minds. We should be praying for ourselves, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our church, the unregenerate, the church universal, missionaries. Our prayer shouldn't be confined to our own person. That's selfishness. We must certainly think of others. And Scripture doesn't tell us, but most certainly other believers, I I would think, would be praying for Daniel as he's in the lion's den. Certainly, they recognize this is a man of our own people. He's from our lines. And he's being persecuted. He's being thrown away. And I know that these other people would have been praying for Daniel. To see a man of God sent because of his beliefs to what seemed to be a sure fate and see that he stood strong, it would be something joyful. It would be an encouragement. We should be that same encouragement to one another. That in our times of trials, we can proclaim the name of Christ and be joyful for the position and the circumstances that we're in because it is a testimony of what Christ has delivered us from and what He will deliver us from. It's beneficial for the saints. There must also be this devotion to prayer that we see from Daniel. A devotion, it says, with joy. He, he was joyful to pray. He wasn't saddened that he had to pray. He looked forward to it. He did it every day. And he certainly wouldn't be stopped by some injunction. How many times do we let life's injunction stop us from praying? There's a very powerful message for the Christian walk, the Christian life. In chapter 6 of Daniel, it's not just about a lion's den. It's a passage about how we should act, how we should behave, how we should trust in the Lord. Daniel was truly a man of God, and he had devotion. With joy and thanksgiving, shall our prayers be lifted up, that the flesh should not hinder a single prayer. He didn't let the things of the world get in way of his prayer. He didn't let the things of that temporal kingdom stop him from praying for the things of the kingdom to come the eternal kingdom the kingdom of god daniel didn't allow those things to hinder him and so i say that this morning so that i can say this the den that you're in the den that you may find yourself in it's only a temporary dwelling as god has prepared a greater place for you for some it's the greatest place and they'll go on to an eternal kingdom and then for those like we see who opposed Daniel it was the last great place they went to being eaten by lions was a great place for those people because what they would soon face was much worse and it lasted much longer it's very unique I think Daniel portrays the constant need that we have for Christ this particular chapter must in one sense apply to us as New Testament believers. It points us 
for the constant need that we have to Christ, that's where it points us to. Although many times we'll fail to seek Him, the truth is that we need constant reminders of who Christ is and what He's done on the cross. And when I consider my own life, the lives of you people, I think about what God is doing. Not what the world is doing to you, but what God is doing. He's preserving. The den is not just a place that you'll be cast to and be tormented. Sometimes the den is a fortress. For, for Daniel, certainly it was. Those who opposed him as enemies, they were on the outside and God has placed this, this den of lions, a place that seemed wicked. It seemed like a fateful end. It seemed like death would be sure to come. Yet Daniel's safe from his enemies. No enemy's going to come get you in there. Likewise, no enemy's going to snatch you from the line of Judah. It just won't happen. Christ is this fortress. Christ is this lion's den that we see here. And when we don't think things are going our way, and they don't seem like this could be good, we have to rest the same way that Daniel did in the hope that God is faithful. That God has placed us there because it's for our good. We just sang the song. It says his draws to consume and gold to refine. He doesn't refine things that he doesn't plan on keeping. That's what he's doing as he sends Daniel to the lion's den. And so I consider that when I see your lives and our lives and we immediately don't know the end result of whatever persecution, whatever proverbial lion's den we may be in, but I know that he's faithful, that he does for the good of his kingdom, for the good of his people, and for his glory. God may call you home, and that's for his glory, but he also could have called you from the womb. And if he did that, if he called you from the womb, or if you were called to the fiery pits of hell, we would know that we deserved it. Even as infants, we would have deserved it. But yet God has been gracious. He's granted us a reprieve. He's granted us a, a fortress. A fortress that is Christ. The wonderful thing is that through Christ, He's given us great measures of grace and mercy and blessings. And truly, our cups runneth over. They runneth over with that which belonged to Christ Himself. It isn't something that we're entitled to. Isn't something that we deserve, but it's also a gift of God. And so when my heart reflects upon the truths revealed in the book of Daniel in chapter 6, I'm immediately humbled, <clears throat> knowing that for some amazing purpose, God has placed us where He does. He's allowed our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ to continue amidst all the adversities, all the trials, all the sufferings, all the persecution. Maybe you're being persecuted. But He can, allows you to continue because He has a meaning. He has a purpose. And He's left us in charge of wonderful things just as Daniel. Daniel was left in charge of things that didn't belong to him. A kingdom to which he was not of the same origin of these people. He was a foreigner. But yet He's given this authority over certain things. Your children. Your grandchildren. Your ministry. Your ministry in the church. Servants to the people of God. You're left in charge of things that don't belong to you. God is gracious. He's done so because it pleases Him. He's left us in charge of these wonderful blessings. They'll be a blessing to you. They'll be a blessing to others. They're a blessing to Him. 
He could have given the responsibilities that we have to anyone. None of us are perfect. None of us are better than the other. None of us are, are deserving. We're not able on our own, but He's left us in charge of these things. He's chosen us. And He continues like He did with Daniel to keep us. Even in the midst of adversity, He keeps us. Like King Darius, He's left you as an overseer of His creation. Of that which He has jurisdiction and power and authority. You're in charge and in care of the next great disciples of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's fully equipped us for the task. And like Daniel may have found himself, we, we see that not everyone around us views it the same way. They don't have our best interest at heart and will inevitably find ourselves at the mercy of the king. We'll find ourselves in a position we didn't expect or necessarily feel like we deserve, but nevertheless, the wicked, according to the Psalms, will accomplish us about. There's nothing that we can do, but we fear only our Lord. Jealousy led these men to desire the death of Daniel. And this is an indicator that they had no love or joy for God. They had no joy for someone else. Certainly this isn't the Christian attitude. And so when we look into this story again, we should see that this is an idea of how our attitude should be. We should be happy when someone is given authority or given a promotion or put over something because we know that they're not put over it because it's for themselves, but it's for the glory of God. There's evidence that these men had no reverence for God. And their accusations aren't just against Daniel because Daniel is only following God. Their accusations are against the one true living God. They've condemned themselves. In one sense, we should all desire to be found in a lion's den. It's a place, a fortress from the outside world, safe from our enemies. But it's a persecution and a suffering that Christians are promised. As I see it more clearly, I realize that we weren't just cast in today. It was determined for us to be where we are long before creation. And we're placed here for the glory of God and it should be our desire to serve amidst trial and tribulation. You haven't been in the den for just some small amount of time, but you've been there. <clears throat> you've been saved. You've been a den. You've, you'll, you'll come across people who hate you. They only hate you because they first hated God. But the truth is that you haven't been devoured. You're sitting here. If you're able to worship God, you're able to receive his blessings. Your blood hasn't been shed. Your life is still hidden with Christ. And Jude one twenty four reveals a great truth about our Lord. It says, He alone is able to keep you from stumbling. And He's able to present you blameless before the presence of the glory with great joy. Notice that Daniel's appeal was to the king after he hadn't been eaten. He said, I have been found not guilty. I have not done anything against you. What a glorious proclamation that would be if we could say that before God. Because of the sake of Christ's righteousness, I'm not guilty. Because of your son, I'm guiltless. I'm forgiven. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be for the emperor as supreme or the governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. This earthly authority that we see in the book of Daniel, it's just a small foreshadow of the authority belonging to Christ. And like in Daniel's circumstances, ultimately the king has delivered you unto your den. Evil isn't placing you in a place of persecution and suffering. Christ is allowing this so that it will mold you, so that he can shape you, so that he can use you for his kingdom, so that you would bring glory to him. So when we see this in Daniel, the king represents a true king, Jesus Christ. He's placed Daniel in the lion's den. Christ doesn't refine that which he doesn't intend to keep. When we see the den, we see it's a place where he's shielded from his enemies. The king represents Christ. Placed. He's placed Daniel in this den. It seems to be a fatal place. It seems to be a place of destruction, but in God's providence, it's a place that's a safe haven. We aren't told that Daniel... When they seized him, that he kicked and screamed. Certainly he knew because he knew the injunction had been signed and he continued yet to worship. And when they took him, we're not told that he kicked and screamed and fought and tried to keep from going to the lion's den. But it seems to me that he just willingly went. He had a hope. The same hope that we have in Christ. That wherever we go, we're not walking alone. We're walking with Christ. And from another perspective, it's in fact Daniel who is a type of Christ. Not just the king, but Daniel is a type of Christ. Like Christ came to do not his own will, but the Father who sent him, Daniel in everything came to serve God. And when his peers could find no wrong in him, the accusations came and they condemned a man who was truly guiltless. Doesn't that look like the picture of Christ? The Christ that we see going to the cross. He came into his own, his own received him not. Found guiltless, yet they would trade him for a murderer. His life being found of little value to those who knew him not. And so we see Christ in Daniel. In a small way, it's a foreshadow that death didn't swallow Daniel in the lion's den. Death didn't swallow Christ. Rather, by God, Daniel was victorious and he continued to live. And it was a foreshadow of Christ's victory over death at the cross. Things that looked so oblique. The disciples, oh Lord, may it never be that you would die on the cross. Yet the most marvelous thing for us comes out of it. An eternal glory. Presence with Christ forever. Redemption, salvation, reconciliation. All of these foreshadowed in Daniel chapter 6. How much greater is it the truth? Not that Daniel came out of the lion's den and conquered this seeming, seemingly fatal position he was in, but that Christ has conquered death. Just like worldly events didn't deter Christ from making salvation certain for dead men, for the elect, certainly worldly circumstances didn't define Daniel's service to God. But on the contrary, 
Daniel's service to God defined his worldly circumstances. Think about that. He could have let the circumstances determine what he would do. He could have said, well, they've signed this injunction. I'll no longer worship my God. But instead, he let the worship of his God define the circumstances to which he would be appointed. He said, I'll continue to worship and that will determine what circumstances I'll meet. What fate I'll find myself with. He was devout to God. Should be no different for us. Through trials and accusations, we can stand tall knowing that Christ has not abandoned us. But for His good pleasure, He's placed us wherever we may find ourselves. A haven that may be undiscernible to others. But if we have the faith that Daniel had, if we have the hope that Daniel has in a faithful God, one who will not allow one of his people to perish, then we can stand firm. His plans are only ever to cleanse us, to better us, to conform us to the image of his son. And so when my thoughts are upon us, upon the people of this congregation, upon Daniel chapter 6, I recognize that Christ has loved you so much that he's placed you right where you are It's not a place that you should be discontented with. You should be happy. He spared you from death. And in things that are seemingly bad, He spared you from sin. There's a lot of people, I believe, they're broke down and poor because the Lord's sparing them from the sin that they would be encompassed in if they had means to do things. Not just financially, but all all sorts of ways. It's just true. He's sparing us from the wrath that we deserve. If he loves you this much, how can we as a church not love one another? How can we not? Daniel loved his people. He continued to worship his God to set an example. No doubt that they prayed for him. They prayed for one another. He was concerned. We read earlier in the book of Daniel how concerned he was for the other people. He didn't desert them. He was concerned. It's why Daniel prayed. Likewise, we should do the same thing. God loves you all so much. You're a treasure. And I want you to see yourselves from this position. Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You are this treasure. Think about it. You are a wandering sheep. That Jesus Christ has gone out and found a treasure in a disgusting earthly field. And he's given all to ransom you. Every single thing. The blood of Christ. He's given his life. You're that treasure. God has settled upon this fact. And our eyes should be open that God's elect don't have to stand in fear of what will happen in the world, fear of this lion's den, but we can stand upon the promises of God and in the joy that we have of Jesus Christ that He has conquered everything that needs to be conquered. I want to take you to Psalm chapter 46. I want to read this to you in closing. God is our refuge and strength 
a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when her morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Let's go to the Lord. God, as we come before you once again, Lord, we thank you for spiritual discernment. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that we've been given. And Lord, I just pray that as we would be allowed to continue here on this earth, that we would study your word. God, that you would make effectual to us the spiritual truths of who your son is and what he has done. Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal Christ to us in the scriptures. Lord, calls us to boast not in ourselves, but to rely completely upon his sufficiency. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.